You are listening to John DeYard's Life Spa, your premier source for health news in Ayurveda, where modern science meets ancient wisdom. Hi, everyone. Dr. John DeYard here. Welcome to the Life Spa podcast. Today, we have a really special guest, Dr. Suhas Shirsaga, who is an Ayurvedic doctor of over 30 years. He's a best-selling author, motivational speaker, gold medal Ayurvedic researcher, advisor to many Ayurvedic organizations and Ayurvedic colleges. He's written some really amazing books like Change Your Schedule, Change Your Life, The Hot Belly Diet, uh, The Art and Sciences of Vedic Counseling, and a book on Panchakarma. Today, we're going to talk about the practical application of an Ayurveda classic book, classic text called the Bhagavad Gita. And welcome, Suhas, dear friend. Welcome to this podcast. I'm super excited about this. How are you? I'm good, John. Thank you very much. It's always a pleasure and a great joy to be with you. I greatly respect your dedication, devotion, and commitment Mm -hmm. to Vedic sciences. And uh, you have made it a mission of your life to blend ancient wisdom with modern science. And every time you talk about and how you blend these things together, it's literally music to our ears. Because I think not only you talk about it very articulately and eloquently, but it kind of sheds light on so many hidden gems of Ayurveda and Vedic sciences. So again, I greatly admire and respect your services. Well, there's a lot of mutual respect here for all the work that you do as well. <clears throat> the um, the Bhagavad Gita, you know, a lot of my folks, listeners probably have heard of it. A lot of them don't really know what it is. A lot of them probably never heard of it. Tell us what it is. Bhagavad Gita is one of the supreme textbook of yoga, I would say. It is considered to be the essence of all the Upanishads. It was kind of explained in the middle of, on a battlefield by Lord Krishna to his close disciple, warrior Arjuna. And that happened about first millennium BC. So you can understand how ancient this knowledge is all about. And more importantly, this knowledge, as we talk about the essence of principles of Vedanta, The basic tools of Vedanta is the science of duality and non-duality. So Bhagavad Gita is literally translated as the song of consciousness. Gita means song and Bhagavad Gita means the divine song or the song of consciousness. And the reason I love this and the reason why the philosophy mentioned in Bhagavad Gita is so practically applicable for all the Ayurvedic practitioners and doctors like us because We see a lot of people, a lot of patients, clients who are kind of stuck and challenged with the problems and challenges in their life. And they don't know where to go and what to do. So it is not only confined many times to just food and diet and lifestyle. Many times you have to actually give them a little spiritual understanding of what the reality is, what the life is, what the illusion of life is, and how can you... help them transcend some of those limitations and slowly navigate them towards finding their spiritual self. That is the reason why actually Bhagavad Gita is a great companion and it has been around. It is one of the supreme textbooks that is respected and revered in Hinduism, no doubt about it. But more importantly, it actually blends the science of consciousness that we know as of today with this knowledge that has been around since almost a millennium. 
And this knowledge that has been around since a millennium, it has lived through the ages, through the Vedic tradition. And we are talking about India about 100 years ago, which was a huge subcontinent. It was a Vedic valley of civilization where the current India, which is which is very small compared to what we're talking about at that time. So that essence of Vedic living in which this non-duality was the essential feature of Vedic wisdom, Vedic literature, all the Vedas, which simply means the bodies of knowledge. And Gita, just 700 verses. There are only 700 verses in this beautiful scripture. And that expounds on all the very basis of consciousness. And not only that, it actually gives us practical tools for daily living, how to really understand this and how to make it work for your day-to-day -day living. So <clears throat> I love it. You know, and I think what I really want to kind of dive into today is the the practical part of it, you know, what can people glean from it? I'll tell you my my favorite line of the Bhagavad Gita is um, is um, Yogastha Kuru Kamani, where it means first establish being and perform action. And we can talk about that, but I'd also like to talk about, you know, is there more mundane and even more practical things that people can learn about versus you know, the idea of, you know, I love the idea of Donner Veda, Donner Asana, Donner the bow. The Veda of the bow is Donner Veda. It's the Veda of transformation. When you pull back that bow, if you're moving it around, you'll never find that arrow, you know, if you shoot it. Yeah. But if you pull back that bow and hold it perfectly still, establish being yoga style, Kuru Kamani, and then take action, this transformation, let frees you. So I think from my perspective, and my small, small understanding of the Gita compared to what you know, is that the whole point of our being is that we should obviously stop the fascination with our outer space and our sensory input forms of satisfaction and be more fascinated with inner space, establish the silence in the inner space, and then take action from that place. I'd love for you to expand on that. Um, because I think it's something that, like you said, in our daily life, all the problems people have is probably because their 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 satisfaction and their and their happiness all comes from things happening outside of them, as opposed to them finding the actual joy and the love and the peace that resides inside of all of us all the time. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Because when you say yoga sthukuru karmani, be established in the action that you're doing, and that pinpointed focus and concentration in how you perform. Yoga karma sukhausham, also from Bhagavad Gita, where yoga means skill in action. <clears throat> when you are immersed in a, in a painting, you don't feel anything that is happening around you. You are completely immersed in what you're doing. Same with sports. And uh, you have been in this field of sports and coaching and training, John, so you would know that when you are trying to uh, shoot a basket, the world is completely standstill. It's all fluid. It's all flow. It's just your action is so fluid in the motion and what you're looking is the rim and you're shooting up there. So that, that concentration, focus and that effortless skill comes from that transcendent sense, from the inner field of silence where the dynamism comes out. It's the rest that gives rise to 
the perfection in the activity. And that's the very message of Bhagavad Gita. And interestingly, we say that the, the metaphor of life is like a battlefield. And Bhagavad Gita was explained as an epic during Mahabharata. And one of the great epics of Hinduism are Mahabharata and Ramayana. And during Mahabharata's of Bhishma Parva, this, this discourse of Gita happens in the middle of the battlefield. And the reason being, Arjuna, who is a great warrior, is seeing all of his friends, teachers, brothers, colleagues, everyone in front of him, are which are ready to fight. And he doesn't want to kill them. He doesn't want to fight with them. He thinks this is a complete and acute state of panic attack that he gets into, and he doesn't want to fight. He says, I don't need the kingdom of heavens. I don't need the victory. Why would I kill my teachers, why would I kill my, my family? And Krishna gives a discourse at that time. The very first word of Bhagavad Gita is dharma. Dharma mm. is the very first word. And the last word of Bhagavad Gita is mama. Mama means mind. So knowing your dharma is the very purpose of Bhagavad Gita itself. And that mama dharma, understanding that on the battlefield, that what am I supposed to do right now as a warrior is the discourse that Krishna gives. And, and you have been a clinician for such a long time and you would understand this, that whenever we see people, especially from their emotional health perspective, there's, there's this challenge of dharma not knowing what they're supposed to do and how they're supposed to behave, that happens all the time. It's almost a, a situation where Arjuna gets a panic attack in the middle of the battlefield, which is very acute state of anxiety, acute state of depression, almost a feeling of guilt that why would I be killing my own friend and family? Fear, even suicidal ideation, where he thinks I'm rather happy to get killed by these people than me killing them. And imagine Krishna as a counselor and Arjuna as someone who is his patient. And the relationship is so beautiful and so metaphorical. We wrote a book with Vamdev Shastri, David Frawley, uh, The Art and Science of Vedic Counseling. So this relationship between the healer and the healing and the therapist and the therapist, Lord Krishna, knew everything about his client his patient, Arjuna, he knew all of his PTSD because they, they lost their kingdom with gambling. And then they were insulted, humiliated, were sent off to forest for 14 years into exile. And so many humiliating experiences were, were trapped into those sense of PTSD. And as a guru shishya, means as a patient who believes in their doctor or therapist, uses so many multimodality approaches on the battlefield, all the 18 chapters of Bhagavad Gita. It's as if that every template that we use in modern psychotherapy were used at that time. We use the cognitive therapy, we use the cognitive rational behavioral therapy, we use rewards, motivation, self-empowerment, devotion, even hypnosis. Even hypnosis, Lord Krishna created this huge 
experience for Arjuna to understand what the reality of the nature is all about. And when he used all of these tools on the battlefield itself, that is when this situation became even more effective because, as I said, the battlefield of life and the battlefield within us means the challenges, the questions that Arjuna asked Lord Krishna are exactly the questions that we want to ask ourselves, our teachers. That his depression is our depression. His questions are our questions. And as we read this, it gives us so much of goodness about how to understand the maya and the illusion of life and how to deal with it. And more importantly, just in one session, 45 to 60 minute session in the middle of battlefield. It starts with Arjuna saying that I am feeling completely anxious, depressed, nervous. The bow and arrow are falling off my hands. My throat is dry. My hands are trembling and shaking. I'm sweating. The hair stand on its end. And I really don't know. I have no strength left in my body. And from that state to the state of the end of 18th of chapter, Nashto Moha Smrutirlabdva, all the clouds have cleared. I have regained the memory of the wholeness. And then, Gata Sandeha, Karishe Vachanam Tava. All my doubts have cleared and just tell me what to do and I will do it because I know the action is more important than inaction. So from chapter 1 to chapter 18, it creates the journey of enlightenment. It, it creates the journey of self-realization. And if Lord Krishna can do that on a battlefield, we as healer, we as Ayurvedic practitioners, we need to do that with our patients our clients, giving them the tools. And that's the reason why Bhagavad Gita is called as the supreme textbook of yoga. Because the practical application yoga, whether whichever tool you use it, whether you talk about Jnana Yoga, whether you talk about Bhakti Yoga, Karma Yoga, or Raja Yoga, these are different tools. And these are different tools that you can select to understand the Maya, the illusion of life to transcend the physical edges and the boundaries of your body and connect with something which is imperishable and indestructible to that mm. field of Paramatma, Atman and consciousness. And I think this, this discussion about the innate nature of reality is what is the most fascinating discussion in Bhagavad Gita, I would say. Well, let's... Um dive into that. You said a couple of things that, uh, a lot of things, but I, um, I want to kind of go back and you started out talking about a basketball and shooting a basketball um, and how easy it is. And it's a flow of consciousness. It's not a flow of consciousness when you're doing it in front of 20,000 people. It's, it's a flow of consciousness when you do it in your backyard, you know? So I want you to touch on that. How do we become, you know, we're so affected by what people think in the world. We're, are we, we live our lives based on how to get the outside world to like us, approve of us, and appreciate us. And the Bhagavad Gita is so much about establishing the truth of you, you know, the Ayurveda of you, really. And when, and when you are, you know, shooting a basketball in front of 20,000 people and you're still within yourself, it's a game changer. 
I always look at athletics and competition as the competition is within yourself. So you are not distracted by the opposition. That's the goal. The goal is that you're engaged in this battle, but you're not distracted by the opposition, right? Arjuna was totally distracted by the opposition because he was going to have to kill his family. And Krishna had to set him straight and say, wait, you're not distracted by the opposition. You have to be established in being. You have to establish in yourself, in the truth. And the truth is what survives, is what we must which we must follow. And when you're established in that being, you're independent of the field. You're not affected by the outside world. And that's the beginning of us beginning to drive down the road of enlightenment or expanding our consciousness, right? So that's the first thing I want you to expand on that. As you say that, because uh, uh, the 20,000 people are for other people who are watching him do that. But for him to make that three-pointer from a distance, he is not feeling or seeing anything else. He is not distracted at all by the environment. Right. He's completely established deep within himself. Right. And he's not even thinking what he's doing. There's no thinking happening. It's just right. a reflex action that is happening. And when he's doing it, the time slows down. There's right. no presence of time that moment. He has so much of time. When um, you're taking a swing with a tennis racket, at that time, right before the racket hits the ball, it's it just slows down. It's so slow for them to put the foot in the right place, to get the racket in the right place, hit the ball, do the top spin and get it over the net. It's so fluid. The time slows down. The concept of everything is completely still. And there's so much of clarity there that you don't see the impact and even you don't worry about the results, whether it's going to go in or not, because it's going to happen so fluidly that many times, and I watch these people like Steph Curry do that, he doesn't even look that whether it's going in. He shoots it and turns around because it's he knows that it's gone in. As soon as it's done, your body knows that the execution has happened. And that's very beautiful, as you said, because from the level of consciousness, the mind, the senses, the physical nature is a distraction to the world what is happening. And that is what created the depression. That is what created the anxiety. That is what created the confusion. And as soon as he got established, and one of the beautiful thing in the 15th chapter, Krishna says that just don't know the field. Be the knower of the field. The field is the body. You're stuck in the body. But as you become the knower, the kshetradnya, so you know the kshetra, which is the body. And kshetradnya is the knower of the field. Because one of the biggest... Fear, right? F-E-A-R, fear. It's in the 15th chapter. Kshetra, kshetradnya yoga. It says that the body is, is the field, but don't worry about the field. Be the knower of the field. And once you become the knower of the field, then this fear of death, dying, everything goes away. Even the mission statement of Ayurveda is Ayurveda Amritana. Ayurveda for immortality, for God's sake. A medical science whose mission statement is Ayurveda for immortality is, is something that inconceivable. And so that, that knowledge, that body is temporary, Soul mm. is permanent, is the core message of Bhagavad Gita. Mm. And we create so much of difficulties and challenge of 
failures, not getting what we want, getting angry, getting depressed, all primitive emotions that keeps us creating. And as you know, that these are not just emotions, they become physical diseases. We know the casket of autoimmune imbalances. We know what, what depression can affect physical conditions. It says, Vishado Rog Vivardhana Sreshtaha. In Ayurveda, there's a statement in Charak Samhita called as Vishado Rog Vivardhana Sreshtaha. Vishad means depression. Depression can make any physical condition worst or can open the floodgate of any physical disease that you want because of that. And the hmm. first chapter of Bhagavad Gita is Arjun Vishad Yoga, the depression of Arjuna that led hmm. to this chaos and this physical symptom that he was getting. So I think it's it's so interesting that when we look at that and we correlate that to what we do with, with our patient, because that journey is the journey of enlightenment. Ayurvedic sessions of you sitting together with people talking about yoga, Ayurveda, meditation, of course, food and diet, which is leading them to more of a sattvic way of living, more enlightened way of living is what Ayurveda is all about. And slowly mm -hmm. helping them to transcend the illusion of the qualia, because mm -hmm. Ayurveda is nothing but the science of qualities and experience. That's what mm -hmm. it is. Understanding right. the qualities and selecting those qualities as per who you are. Mm -hmm. So whether you are a vata pitta kapha person or you are you become he you eat heavy, you become heavy. You eat something hot, it creates heating qualities in the body. So it just knowing the qualities and selecting the qualities is the very message of Ayurveda. That's number one. And then the physical qualities and the subtle qualias and certain qualias, how you adjust into your living is what is the health conscious, mindful way of living, how you style your life, the Veda of Ayu, the Veda of Ayush, the knowledge of how to live. And that is a starting point. So that is why out of all the Vedic literature, Ayurveda, I would say is the most materialistic Veda, where you understand the very basis that what are the qualities, how to lead life, but because in Rig, Rig Veda or Dhanurveda or Yajurveda, you don't understand a whole lot of physical things as much as you understand in Ayurveda. And so <laughs> living a life which is healthy, but having a constant focus towards spiritual evolution. Mm. I think that's the very message. You know, it's like a, um, <clears throat> it's like a river. If you're in a river and you're going downstream, it's effortless. You're going to get to the ocean. It doesn't even, you know, if you just follow those effortless rules of life, going down with the flow. But if you're in your boat paddling against the grain, it's, you know, if you've ever been in a canoe, paddle upstream, the waves are slapping your canoe. It's hard work. You're working, working. People feel exhausted at the end of their day. They have to live for the weekend so they can recover. But they're going upstream against the grain. So they have to eat foods to somehow give them feelings of satisfaction. But when you're going downstream with the current, as you said, with the rhythms of Ayurveda, the rhythms of nature, then you don't think about, I have to eat good food. I have to be on this strict diet. I have to be nice to people. I have to live an honest integrity lifestyle. It's what you naturally do. You know, the birds in the forest aren't stealing from each other. They're not killing each other. They're not, it's a natural thing, but we're going against the grain, which we've done in our, in our, life, human-wise, um, we've changed all those rules. So we need Ayurveda and the Bhagavad Gita to kind of say, hey, 
This is the course, this is the, the source, and this is the goal of human life. Now, you also mentioned something in the beginning. You said rest is the source of this. Did you say that, that rest is the source? Yes, rest. Okay. From so rest I, originates the activity. Right. So I, I, I want to share something with you that um, happened to me. when I when, Maybe my very first lecture in Ayurveda when I was it must have been 1981, maybe, something like that, uh, 82. Um, I went to an Ayurvedic uh, lecture, and the guy was talking about Ayurveda. I was fascinated by it. And uh, afterwards, I went up to him, I talked to him, and I said, you know, I'm training for an Ironman triathlon. And he looked at me, and I said, well, is that a good thing to do in Ayurveda? And he looked at me, and he said, what is that? And I said, well, it's a 26-mile run, a two-and-a-half-mile ocean swim, and a 112-mile bike ride. And he looked at me like I was sort of crazy. And he said, why do you do that? And I had no idea. I had no, no answer. Never, no one ever asked me that question. And I was a little sort of hemming and hawing. And he looked at me and he said, uh, do you meditate? And I said, yeah, I do meditate. I meditate every day. I've been meditating since I was 17 and, and I love it. And he looked at me again, like I was sort of a nut. And he said, do you sleep while you meditate? And I said, deep sleep. I get the deepest possible sleep. You know, I love it. I go meditate and I conk out. Then I wake up, do my homework and that kind of thing. And he looked at me again like I was sort of an idiot. And he said, meditation is not sleep. It's different. Meditation is just what you said. It's rest is the source of activity. You have to establish this feelings of restful activity. And my point here is that I think no one knows how exhausted you are. I didn't think I was exhausted. I was running triathlons, feeling more energy than I ever had in my life. So I said to him, I said, does that mean that I can run these Ironman triathlons if I can not sleep during my, my, my meditation? Then it will be okay? And he looked at me and he said, oh, yeah, sure. You know, I think you just wanted to get rid of me. But I was like, and he said, yes. And I was like, okay, I'm going to do that. So I started meditating more. I started going on weekend meditation retreats. I went on a two-week meditation retreat and my life changed. I became, I went from true stories of my, my body, my sport book is the last chapter called yeah. Jet Fuel tells the whole story. But I went from being a, a mediocre, good triathlete to being a competitive triathlete placing in many events, you know, and this was in the South Bay in California competing against the best in the world, in the country at that time, that was early days of triathlon. And so many other things happened to me. Not only did I feel completely invincible running and swimming and biking, but I felt invincible in my work and my studies in my schoolwork, in my clinic, I was like, like I felt like someone gave me a drug that gave me this invincible ability where I could not get fatigued. I was in the eye of the storm and the bigger the calm I created, the more powerful winds I was able to support. And that's why I fell in love with the Bhagavad Gita because it's like yoga style, Kuru Kamani, establish that eye of the storm inside of you. It's there waiting for you. And then slowly build the wind around that storm. So you're a fully mature hurricane with that ability to be incredibly dynamically active in any aspect of your life, but inside perfectly calm. You're not affected by the, you know, the tree trunks and the Winnebago's flying around you that could kill you. You're invincible. You're, you're independent of the field. You're not in the stress. You're and and so I think that 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 point that you made that that um, that rest is such a key part of this. I want you to expand on because I don't think people get that. We just go 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 in our country, in our culture, and no other culture in the history of the world does this. 
you know, right? In India, even now, India is a hustle bustle place, but at the same time, it's totally peaceful, right? Yeah. Help us understand that. I think I think uh, it's a very beautiful concept that you brought it up because what you're talking about is when you became in contact with your quantum body, your physical body was able to perform. And right. I think... Um, that's what the message of Deepak's new book, The Quantum Body, is. Because the quantum body is where, once you tap into that field, then the edges and the boundaries of your physical body are kind of submerged with that quantum realization, which gives you more strength, more vitality. There's no death, decay, aging, dying in that quantum body itself. And that separation where the activity comes from rest, Dynamism comes from silence. Speech, it comes from your silence first. What you speak comes from the depth of silence, of the thoughts, how you reorganize, how you correlate, and how you speak comes from the depth of silence itself. And that complementarity of the polarity of the opposite, whether you talk about the wave or the particle, the mind or the matter, the organism or the environment, uh, gene and the epigene nowadays we talk about, local and non-local, personal and universal. That's what we're talking about here. As you are tapping into universal, the personal becomes easy. As you know, the particle, the wave becomes easy. Your body is a, a boundary which is constantly invisible, going in and out of your physical edges and boundaries of space and time. And meditation, you diving deep within, even self-referral awareness allows you to create and connect with that from where you are able to come back and perform. You are able to perform from that state of awareness. It's not that when you're about to perform, that's when you're doing it. But that practice that you're doing, that practice of mindfulness, that practice of awareness, that practice in the field of consciousness, that's what Ayurveda is. Ayurveda is a consciousness-based approach to health and living and healing. And yeah, yes. I think I think as we talk about this in the current day and age where the mind has become super busy, it is becoming very distracted. It is allowing the senses to get to the height of insanity. All of that, when you start when slowly withdrawing those things, that's what yoga is. Is that right? You are withdrawing that to the state of union. The polarities of the opposite, you are withdrawing inside the union of the individual self with the cosmic self, the union of the individual breath with the cosmic breath, the union of the individual intellect with the cosmic intellect. That's what Bhagavad Gita's message is all about. And I think mm. as we talk about this concept itself, for practical daily living, it should start with that degree of quietude and mindfulness. As you increase the pace of life, that is when it becomes more and more. The reason why I wrote this book, Change Your Schedule, Change Your Life, was I practice in the Bay Area and everybody works 60, 80 hours a week and they have no time for themselves. Everybody's becoming cash rich and time poor. No time for themselves to sit, to think, meditate, sleep, even to do oil massage or to cook good food for yourself. No time for yourself. 
And when you live into that stage, then you are increasing the pace of life. And I jokingly tell my patient for, for a fast acting relief, try slowing down. And it becomes so difficult because they are trying to do multitasking. They are trying to achieve and accomplish many, many things all at once. And the message of Bhagavad Gita is, is just futility of it. It doesn't create everlasting happiness. It just creates more and more unhappiness and brings you more misery because you are disconnected from the source. Right. You are, <clears throat> you're touching on so many really interesting things. Um, going back just a little bit, you talked about um, what I like to call it, thinning the veil between the physical and the spiritual and kind of blurring the boundaries between the physical body and the quantum body, you know? And I wonder if there was a simple technique that you could share for folks that would help them, you know, taste that experience. I think I think the simple thing is to pause, to pause and just close your eyes gently and see what you are able to hear. The sound that you are able to feel with closed eyes. Pay attention to your sense of smell. What are you smelling at this moment? Just feel what you're feeling in your, on your feet. Can you feel the socks that you're wearing at this moment? Can you take your attention to the areas that the experience was there, but you were not feeling it? And even just fractions of seconds, it feels as if you have slowed down significantly. You can check your heart rate variability with just a minute or two of that exercise. You tapping in into that experience that you were not even aware before. Sense of touch, smell, temperature. Do you feel cold? What is feel? Take your attention to your back molar teeth and see what are you feeling there. Take your attention to your left toe. Take your attention to your left elbow and see what it is feeling. It's just a mindful way of you going down and trying to feel something. It immediately slows down the pace and the activity of your mind, and you're able to feel in the experience. So first, do that. Then in order to calibrate it and take it even further, just consciously take a few deep breaths. Just breathe in nice and deep, hold it for a few seconds, release. Take nice deep breaths, Hold it for a few seconds, release. Take three deep breaths like this. And then observe all of these things one more time. Mm -hmm. And ask yourself a million dollar question. How do you feel? Mm -hmm. And you feel quiet, centered. And I promise you, after 60 seconds, when you open your eyes, you feel as if you're waking up from a nap. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. And, and this I love is that. a this is a recursive feedback loop. It's a recursive feedback loop. And just instantly, you have addressed almost all the functionings and the mm. activity and the flow of prana. And that's the discussion nowadays we are having in, in medicine. The body is like, is the experiences that the body gives are not stored anywhere in the body. None mm. of the experience that you have had in a lifetime are anywhere stored in your body. All the food that you ate, the books that you read, the movies that you watched, it's nowhere to be found in your body. 
There is no hard disk, there's no hard drive. There's, it's all uploaded in the cloud, in the consciousness somewhere. And so when the physical body has no storage of this and the consciousness is what is reprogramming this, so how to calibrate the new experience that you can reprogram will come only from your ability to drive. In Bhagavad Gita, Lord Krishna says, out of all the senses, I am the mind. And the reason why mind is important, because when the mind is drawn outward, it leads to bhoga, roga, indulgences and diseases. And the same mind that is drawn inward, it leads to yoga. It leads to union. It leads to self-realization where that mind is able to slowly move upward and transcend the limitations of ahankara, transcend the ego and connect with buddhi, which is your intellect. And that buddhi with a stable intellect, that's what the message of Bhagavad Gita is, sthita pragya, stability of intellect. And that intellect that allows you to make the choices and the decisions. What do you want to do? What do you want to listen to? What do you want to practice? How do you want to eat? All of those choices that you make will literally decide the destiny of your life. So that mind is refining your intellect automatically every time you have this experience. Hmm. I have to recap what you said there because what you said there is so amazing and so brilliant. <clears throat> um, the language of the soul is feeling. The language of the mind is thinking. So what you just taught us was how to feel and not think. And if we can, because thinking is going to take us right back out into the distractions. But when you start to facilitate the neural patterns, pathways of feeling through your senses, whether you call it pratyahara or whether you call it yoga nidra, or whether you just do what you just said to do, which was, a beautiful version of learning how to feel. Because when you think about, you know, the feelings, they are the language of the soul and they are in your body. Like you said, the thoughts and the memories, they're not in your body. So if you want to get to your soul, which is in your body, it's part of you, right? It's part of us. You have to go through another doorway. And it's a doorway that we don't use at all, which is our ability to feel through our senses. And so I thank you for that. That was so beautiful that people can practice exactly what you just did and start learning that language of feeling, the language of the soul. And if a thought comes, just know that that's your mind trying to, you know, grab the reins again and just let it go and go back to your feeling and keep facilitating an ability to feel through your senses that is step one, really, in trying to get out of our head, which is so beautiful. I, I love that. And the four types of yoga that Bhagavad Gita talks about, the yoga of being, doing, feeling, and knowing, that's what it is all about. Being, feeling, doing, and knowing. The yoga of being is the Raja Yoga. The yoga of doing is the Karma Yoga. The yoga of feeling is Bhakti Yoga. The yoga of knowing is Raj Yoga, Jnana Yoga. So when you talk about Jnana Yoga, Bhakti Yoga, Karma Yoga and Raj Yoga are the different paths that take you there. And as, as a therapist, Lord Krishna gives you all the options. 
either you just surrender to me and worship me in this form or understand with faith and devotion and personify me as an archetype and then worship me whether it's ganesha krishna god jesus mary whatever it is that personification takes you towards a satvik mode of thinking prayer faith devotion or do selfless action seva karma yoga nishkam karma yoga doing actions without anticipating the fruit of your fruits of your actions or intellectualize it try to decode and understand the sankhya yoga the enumeration what purusha is what prakriti is how the universe functions what are the laws of nature in the universe how to know the field you can you can literally split hair and there are darshanas there are point of views in vedic metaphysical traditions have decoded this from so many different perspectives those are all the paths that we talk about of raj yoga and the gyan yoga is try to connect with yourself don't go outward just go inward and connect to the body of knowledge just the state of knowingness where everything will come to you you will have realization from where you will know exactly how it works you don't have to go out and i think that is what the current challenge is in in so many scientific world where we talk about objects referral versus subject referral so the object referral is we are trying to go out we are trying to measure something the the word maya also means measurement by the way so every time you measure we are still stuck in the matter we are not able to tap into the field of consciousness from that so having that metaphysical experience i think Bhagavad Gita is the very template. It's the supreme textbook to guide you to select the right kind of tools, and it gives you actual action items: how to lead a satvic life, how to meditate, where to sit, how to sit, how to practice meditation, what to focus on, what to realize, uh, what are the company of wise, how to identify those things with from non non duality to the degree of monism. how to lead yourself to moksha to enlightenment and self realization itself so these are so many beautiful facets and lord krishna is is like an eminent teacher who actually tells you things from so many different perspectives from so many different avenues and keeps on repeating those in every chapters understanding the pulsating wholeness that is the very fabric of this creation and the potentiality through which you manifest anything and everything you are never born you are never gone and how to live in harmony with your nature how to know your dharma and do your action in accordance with your dharma more importantly how to discipline yourself how to practice your sadhana how to do uh, activities which slowly take you towards vairagya or detachment you can't be a renunciate in a in a lifetime totally but at least minimize the clutter as much as you can be as aware jagrat awake self aware practice contemplation try to restore balance in everything that you do don't go overboard because one of the beautiful shloka practically from health perspective in bhagavad gita is Lord Krishna says, "Yukta ahar viharasya, yukta cheshtasya karmasu, yukta swapnava bodhasya, yogo bhavati dukha." Eat the right foods at the right time. Go to bed at the right time. Wake up at the right time. Make sure your actions are balanced and you are not 
overusing, misusing, or abusing your senses. And when you lead these things in a balanced diet and lifestyle, that is the yoga that alleviates all causes of suffering. As simple as that. It's like a formula given within itself. And what we know right now with the science of chronobiology, chronopharmacology, the science of dietetics, nutrition, you have done tremendous work in the field of nutrition. Until and unless people become self-peripheral and self-aware and make those choices effortlessly and makes a habit of eating this way, thinking this way and behaving this way, health doesn't happen. You know, you mentioned, you know, karma yoga, bhakti yoga, gyan yoga, raj yoga. Um, can people, do people sort of have to do all of them or can you just do one of them? How does that work? And okay. how would you choose? How would you choose? Well, I mean, there are different likes of people. That is the innate nature, the gunas that people are drawn to. Is that mm -hmm. right? So there are people who can who can be drawn to a lot of philosophical, metaphysical understanding, abstract knowledge. By nature, they are drawn to that. Some people want something tangible. There are different modes that how people learn. Is that right? Mm -hmm. People learn by watching, going to a teacher mm -hmm. and things like that. So there are different strokes for different folks, as I would say. And so depending upon your mentality, you can select the path and all those things will lead you to the same goal itself. And he lays it out a path. You don't have to select all the four of them, but automatically you are already following all the four of them to a certain degree. And mm -hmm. we see that. Means the tradition of bhakti yoga worshipping has been around for ages together in all cultures and all around the globe itself. The, the yoga of knowledge that is in the scientists and all the latest scientists that we see who are at the top of their career have reached to the pinnacle and suddenly realize that they don't know enough. They are stuck with this whole... Uh, true nature of reality, where all the laws become obsolete. We talk about quantum physics, quantum biology, quantum chemistry, but beyond that, it doesn't apply. And so they go to that state and they realize that this is much more. And we see that in every scientist that have gone to read Bhagavad Gita and decoded that science and have been fascinated by the space-time continuum as explained in Vedic literature itself. The same with Karma Yoga doing actions, doing your dharma, living up to your tools that you are good at, the skills that you're gifted with, also takes you to the same path. You don't have to change a career and, and only meditate and stand on one leg. But if you're a good artist, if you're a good painter, you're a good musician, that can even itself lead to God-realization and self-realization. So I think it's all transcending the limitations and the confinement of your sensory barriers and unification of your mind and intellect and giving an experience of something bigger, greater, and brighter than yourself. Mm, wow, beautiful. Thank you for that. So um, the other piece of the Bhagavad Gita that, I, that I've always loved is, you know, first we talked about establishing being and then perform action. But it seems like the second half of that is to not be attached to the fruits of your actions. And we're really you know, sort of bad at that. You know, I feel like in meditation, we always, everybody teaches everybody how to meditate. You meditate, you establish being, but they don't perform action. So the, I feel like the missing piece is what I like to call taking it off the mat, 
In other words, we meditate, we do yoga breathing for myself, but then I go out into the world and I, I don't know, I just go do my thing. Sometimes lie, cheat, and steal. I don't really change anything in my behavior based on my pulling back the bow and establishing silence. So I feel like we have this thing where we are meditating, but now we have to put that into action and make it transformational action. There was a study done that I'll share that I want you to elaborate on this. It was done where people gave gifts to people in a hedonistic way, where I give you a gift to us and I want you to like it. I want you to, I'm hoping that you call me up and say, wow, John, you're so amazing. You gave me this amazing gift. And I'm all you know, excited because I got a return on my investment attached to the outcome. The other group gave a gift, the same gift to a group of people in a eudaimonic way where they had no expectation to get anything in return. They get it for the love and the gestalt of just giving and giving. When they gave it in a hedonistic way, it actually had a negative effect, not only on their genetic code, but on the genetic code of the people they were giving it to. And when they gave it in a, a eudaimonic way where they didn't care about the outcome, it had a positive effect on the genetic code of the people you're giving it to. So when we do us and we're not attached to the fruits we change the environment that we're in. We change the people that we're around. When I am attached to the outcome and I'm trying to somehow manipulate you to like me, then that is a negative effect on your genetic code, which is only gonna make you probably wanna manipulate the people around you as well. And we keep going into that snowball effect of people manipulating together only so we could feel temporarily satisfied in the skin of ours, as opposed to feeling completely free and courageous and vulnerable and willing to give without any expectation and watch it change the world one heart opening at a time. So talk to us about the fruits of action. Well, I think this is so important during this time when everybody is busy buying holiday gifts and presents for the people that they love, like, care or don't care about probably. And so many times we see that the winter blues, the cause of that is also the, the season of presence and the gift of giving sometimes. And I think the gifts, whether they're liked or not liked or disliked or frowned after is going to create almost a cascade of positive negative emotions. So you're absolutely right. Because every time you give something, there's a sense of anticipation of someone saying nice things about you or not liking it to you. So the, the wisdom is when you do actions, that actions, your, your job is to do the actions and do something, but not anticipate the result of that. When you are worried about the results of anything, and people do this. Uh, if I follow this diet for, for a week or 15 days, what would I get? And will I lose those 10 pounds that you're telling me about? You are focusing on that more. You're not right. able to really enjoy and learn how your body is feeling every day on this diet. And if you're feeling lighter, brighter, clearer, why don't you feel this way for the rest of the year? Because you are not focusing on what you're going to get and how quickly you can get back to what you wanted to do thereafter. So the, the goal should not be the anticipated results of anything. In many Indian places and temples and worship places, there's a there's a place for Gupta Dhanam. Gupta means hidden. 
or you want to donate something where you don't want to put your name, tag, label, anything, you put the money, whatever resources you want to donate. Uh, and I think people feel really good about it because that is utilized, that is given out to people. The people do not even know who has given what. They bless them. They, they mm. are going to feel blessed. They, as soon as they use what you have given, you get the goodness of the karma. But when you are anticipating that my name should be on this wall or I should donate this, this department to this college campus with my name on it, then that becomes tainted. And that creates this challenge where you are doing it for your namesake, not for helping students or not for helping doing anything else. So that is clearly said in Bhagavad Gita that the superior form of giving and helping people is to the best of your ability, not them knowing about it. Or to the certain extent you give away and not anticipate anything back. But that should happen on a daily basis. Your actions should not be constantly rewarded. It means everyone does. And actions are inseparable. The, the first thing that you were born as you start taking a breath, the action started. That, that is happening all the time. There's hardly a moment where you're not doing some kind of an act in your body. But we think the act means me going from point A to point B is an act. So the act is happening. Karmanne vadhikaraste ma faleshu kadachanam. What you are responsible for is only how you do and perform action. You are not at all responsible for the outcome of your actions to a greater extent. And we see that all the time. And the moment you keep on thinking about the outcome of those actions, then something that is which is beyond your purview, then you start hurting yourself and hurting the people in return because of that. And I think the chaos that we see in the collective consciousness is because of those actions which are either hurtful or vindicative in some nature. Wow, that's such a beautiful thing. And I think what you said is so beautiful. Obviously, you can all see how brilliant Suhas is. He's just such a genius. Um, and the, the idea of giving you know, so you don't have the return on investment. But also don't forget that study that said that when you're expecting expecting something in return, on a subtle level, it has a negative effect on the people around you. So that's like a whole nother level of like, wow, like the Gita was so profound. It understood that, you know, giving anonymously without me getting the recognition is so powerful for you, the giver and the receiver more powerful than the receiver. Because if I give with an expectation, I'm actually in some way hurting the receiver, the person that I'm so-called trying to help, right? It's just amazing how the Gita and Ayurveda and yoga and the Veda, they drill so deep into the subtlety. And the more That's subtle something thing. is, the more powerful. As you are talking about this, John, just sorry to interrupt you like this, but the seed of anger actually comes from that feeling that I did this to you and you did not respond, makes mm -hmm. me angry. And mm -hmm. the seed of anger comes from this. And we see even in the world of geopolitics that we did something to them and they did not respond. Instead of that, they hurt us with something. Then we should go back and hurt them again. That is what happens. The cause of anger comes from 
giving and receiving in an impure tainted way and wow. there's a whole pathophysiology described in bhagavad gita which is so phenomenal as as a practicing ayurvedic physician it says dhyayato vishayan pusah sangasteshu pajayate sangat sanjayate kamah kamat krodho bijayate krodhat bhavati sammoha sammoha smruti vibhrama When I'm constantly thinking and desiring of sensory objects to fulfill my desire, then I try to accumulate them. I try to keep on gathering those tools what I keep on insatiable thirst for my senses. And then when I gather those things, then it becomes a holding of those things which I think I want, I don't want, things like that. And you keep on gathering things. If I have a house there, then I want a house on the island. If I have there, then I want something on the mountain. There's no end to that. And then one of those things gets dispossessed. What you call yours gets dispossessed. What you give doesn't get reciprocated and you are dispossessed with the gratifying feeling. That makes you angry. that anger comes from that not getting fulfilled krodhat bhavati sammoha that anger leads to sammoha chaos confusion illusion covering of your senses you don't know what you're saying you don't uh, reciprocate properly you just invade people you talk bad about them because you are angry you are upset and once you have this destabilized intellect when you are angry then the choices that you make the words you use the actions you become you create imbalances it creates it leads you on a self destructive path buddhi nashat pranashati and that's the beginning of the end so it might look very benign thing but one of the biggest thing is i'm trying to do something then those people do not understand me or they don't give me the goodness of what i'm trying to do to them it happens with husband and wife it happens with your own children it happens with between the countries it happens to so many people in corporations in work workplaces and everything like that is the seed of emotion and that's what bhagavad gita is all about these emotions they sound very benign very gentle very very uh, kind of not related to the hardcore of diseases but that is the cause even in ayurveda it says the three causes of diseases are asatmendriya artha sanyog which is improper conjunction of your sensory organs with the faculties pragyaparad and parinama not respecting the time and doing the right thing at the right time those are the causes of diseases which has nothing to do with good or bad food or poor lifestyle it's all about how you create the cascade of those emotions that changes the very nature of your neuroendocrine psychoimmunology and then you have a physical disease that you have no clue where it came from what's crazy about what you're saying is that that anger is inevitable because who really when you we're talking pretty lofty here that i can give without any expectation everybody gives with an expectation to get something in return so that lack of satisfaction is going to be built into the equation with so that anger that seed of anger is going to be you know it's going to be kindled in all these interactions 
you know, they did a study, I think it was 146 different countries. They went around the world and they gave, and they had people give to other people, people who had money, they would give people money and they would give to money versus go buy, you know, give money to other people or buy something for themselves and they measured their happiness, right? And obviously the people, when they gave to others, they were more happy, but they went to the poorest countries in the world. And these people gave to other people from what they didn't even have. And even that made them happier than them going out and getting things for themselves. So even the poorest possible people had nothing to give when they actually gave, they were happier than when they actually went to the market and got something for themselves, which they desperately needed. So even on that most fundamental level, it works. But we're so addicted to the outside world from childhood when we manipulated our mom and dad to buy us toys, and then we created a whole culture to give us more toys. We're still doing it. And we're still addicted into that way. And that's what I think around this holiday season. It's a great time for us to think about in starting the new year. You know, how can we think about how can I give without any expectation? How can I give an honest way? How can I give and care for people without wanting anything in return just for the sake and the love of giving? That eumonic way. It's a way we change the world one heart at a time. I, I, I want you to maybe, we talked a lot about the Gita. Obviously, we can't, there's no, no way to touch on all of it. You're so brilliant. Is there anything left that we should talk about that people can take away in terms of their, their daily routine or their activity or their things that they can do right away to start tapping into this, to this most subtle, most profound part of ourselves? Just to continue what you were saying, we did a study at the Chopra Center where we saw people who had inflamed heart and we actually told them about writing a gratitude journal, about doing something act of random goodness to people and writing it down and appreciating others and doing a gratefulness journal. And we repeated the test and looked at the inflammatory markers and it went down. Mm. The inflammatory markers, the even inflammation in the blood vessels in the heart actually reduced significantly mm. just with that act itself. Even in Bhagavad Gita, Lord Krishna mm. says, Matram Pushpam Falam Toyam, whatever you want to offer me. Whether it could be a leaf, could be a flower, could be a fruit, could be water, or even a grateful heart that you are just thinking nice about someone, mm. sending your wishes to someone with a grateful heart, even that alone can make a difference itself. Mm. And so I think this is all being proven by science now to really understand that the practical tips of Vedanta that we talk about from a Bhagavad Gita perspective are so easy that you can do. Because that, that self-realization journey is, is something that you do on a daily basis. And more importantly, try to live in present as much as possible. Don't worry about past. It's gone. Future is still a mystery. Try to be in the present as much as possible is the core message. Be aware of your surroundings. Don't be completely disconnected. Be aware of the weather, the season, the time, people, places. Be aware of your surroundings. Just that awareness will shift how you feel. Quiet your internal dialogue and meditate. Just tap into your, your inner self and that, that activity will quiet your internal dialogue itself. Try to do breathing exercise because breath what connects your mind and the activities and the vrittis of the mind. In Hatha Yoga Pradipika, it says, Chale vate chale chittam nishchale nishchalo bhave. When the breath wanders, the mind wanders. When the breath is steady, the mind is steady. So do pranayama. 
do meditation make silence meditation prayer spending time outdoors in nature as a reality we know the science of biophilia now because it brings you happiness when you are outdoor in in the elements of nature it brings you joy and happiness try to look at what your senses are experiencing change your perceptions change your life literally and try to expand your awareness try to feel more than what is meeting your senses transcend them to a certain extent try to listen to your body signals whether you're hungry thirsty whether you your bladder is full and you need to do something or you're tired and you want to sleep the world out there is all projection of your world inside you itself and then don't develop a habit of constantly judging every experience you can't be in a constant yum or yuck mode like or dislike happy or unhappy the the message in bhagavad gita is sukha dukhe samakrutva labhala bhojaya jayo shed the burden of judgment try to accept the experience go with the flow as you are saying is that right go with the flow because resistance to existence is the first cause of misery ignorance mm-hmm. avidya resistance to your existence and relinquish the need of external approval what other people think of you is none of your business mm. you keep on doing your duty you do your nishkam karma yoga you do your actions you without anticipating whether they should say nice things about you or not so nice things about you mm. just just relinquish that need for the external approval observe yourself don't take yourself too seriously look at yourself in a detached manner and try to break away from the monotonous routine to a certain extent get out and slow down the pace of life make other people feel important because the simple law is if you want love give others love if you want respect give others respect if you want appreciation appreciate others for god's sake and if when people are feeling valued respected appreciated you feel good about it anything with good kind words deeds positive affirmation letting go not holding things for ages together into your system forgive people for your own selfish reasons and more importantly find your path purpose passion that makes you really happy that really every cell of your body dances with joy understand and follow the inspiration and contribute something bigger greater than yourself and learn something new as every time means what your podcast is something trying to churn the wheels and allow people to think and learn and develop new habits and this is a very important thing it's like weaving a cable one thread at a time and that one thread becomes a cable and that becomes very difficult to shift if you cultivate that in a positive way you cultivate positive habit that will change your life and your destiny if you weave the same threads with ignorance and bad habits then it's going to take you somewhere else so what you're doing is phenomenal talking to all these experts talking to all these people and exposing so many people to think this way so that they slowly adopt what they think that they can do and it can transform their life the purpose why we are teaching this course with me and deepak because there's so much of science neuroscience about how bhagavad gita can apply the science of self management the science of real consciousness what we know and how you can really understand those things for your practical daily living 
this is what we are so excited to share this is what we have been doing for god knows how many years now but i think we are still very excited we are still very happy and this course that is starting in january um we are having six live webinars deepak has been talking about this for four decades now 40 years in so many different ways books courses classes webinars and we are going to distill down with the reference of bhagavad gita itself and i am sure that it will have so many practical nuggets for people to take and even if you take 2% of what we are discussing in the course it will change your life that's powerful enough knowledge there is no purifier than knowledge how can people sign up for this course and when does it start again it starts on 4th of january and they can go to our website ayurvedichealing.net or they can go to the chopra foundation website because all the proceeding that we are going to give is going towards the research on consciousness we are currently collaborating with quite a few uh, educational institutions and universities in the country and we are doing research on non dual awareness mindfulness and the the biofeedback techniques which regulates uh, the activities of your vagus nerve so all the proceedings from this course are going for the funding of the research of this hmm so they can find Beautiful. it at the chopra foundation they can look at my website ayurvedhealing.net and we are trying to get a seismic mass at this these difficult times what the world is going through so that people are listening to some of these things and we are raising the collective consciousness so that we have these discussions going on so that we can minimize the intensity of this challenges for humanity i would say wow well two amazingly brilliant teachers um two people that i love and adore and admire um that's of course you don't want to miss um so how is anything else you want to share us before i let you go no thank you thank you john and as i said that i really really appreciate what you do on a daily basis and i wish you great success and a lot of happiness and a long long life so that we can carry our little candle and light forward for many many more decades to come all the best i look you. forward to, i look forward to spending many more years with you as my friend We'll talk again soon. Thank you so much. Take care. Thank you. Namaste. This recording is brought to you by Life Spa, where ancient Ayurvedic wisdom meets modern science. Get access to free health video newsletters by Dr. John at lifespa.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the FDA. These products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure or prevent any disease.